We are in the second of four weeks of a sermon series called A God Who. A God Who, and then we fill in the blank. And you'll remember, if you were here last week, that we serve a God who did not give us a list of bullet points about who God is. Instead, God gave us a collection of stories that we call Scripture, the Bible. We're not limited to a bullet point list of characteristics. So we talk about, last week, we talked about a God who appears. You'll remember uh, last week we took a story from Exodus where God appeared as a burning bush to Moses. So Moses, uh, you'll remember him as the baby who was put in the basket on the Nile River, was taken by Pharaoh's household, raised in the palace of Pharaoh, uh, and then escaped to Egypt. A few other things happened in there, right? Escaped to the wilderness, right? Yes, kind of glossing over several chapters in books. Um, but escaped to the wilderness. While he was tending sheep, he noticed a bush that was burning, but was not burning itself up. And this is how God chose to appear to Moses. And you'll remember God appeared because God heard God's people cry out. God heard that God's people were being oppressed by the Egyptians. So God appeared. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Or as one theologian put it, I will be there as I will be there. So God appears to us to heal us and to be presence for us, sometimes even in the midst of a church setting. So today we're talking about a God who accompanies a story Of a God who accompanies. Would you pray with me? God, in these moments, reveal who you are to us. Speak with me. Speak through me. Speak in spite of me. Amen. Before my time at Ridgewood, I had the quirky blessing of serving as a pastor to high school youth. And in that blessing are things like lock-ins. Y'all know. And in that blessing are things like mission trips. And in that blessing are things like theme parks. And when I and I know their their rites of passage, when I was in youth group, I frequented Kentucky Kingdom or Kings Island or Holiday World several times during each summer. But what happened between my teenage years and my now years was something in my head and body that no amount of Dramamine and Advil could fix at theme parks. So this past summer, 
After a lot of asking, I agreed to take my high school youth and the middle school youth went as well on a trip to Kings Island. And because we were in Owensboro, about three and a half-ish hours away, we decided to go on a Monday, but we would drive up on a Sunday evening, stay the night in a hotel, and then drive back after the festivities of, of Monday at Kings Island. And, and just to let you know, I did not ride any roller coasters. My initial thought was, how many books can I get read while I'm sitting there at Kings Island? I know, you can call me a wet blanket, it's all right. <laughs> so... We start, we start driving the church buses. Uh, you know, we all get there in one piece. We are fed. We are at the hotel. They are distributed to their rooms. And somehow, by the grace of God, I scored my own hotel room. So we're, we're on this, we're on this floor. I'm making sure that the gaggles of middle school girls are in their rooms and, and, and we're, we're all settled in. And so I go into my room and I, I get ready for bed and I go into the bathroom, you know, wash my face, brush my teeth. And as I reach for the bathroom door, it has a knob. That's one of the, the bar handles, not the knob handles. Um, I realize that the door handle goes all the way around and around and around and around. And um It takes me about three seconds to realize that I am in a hotel room by myself, in a bathroom by myself, without my cell phone, and I am locked in this bathroom because this doorknob is broken from the inside. Yeah, I know, it was pretty traumatic. So here's my thought process. And this probably tells you a little bit about my psyche, some of y'all. My first thought was, what earrings am I wearing, and can I turn them into a screwdriver to get the screws out of the doorknob, to take the doorknob off, to get the door open? I tried that. I had little studs in. It didn't work. But that was my first go-to move. Yep. Um, my, my second thought was, okay, I know the door opens into the bathroom, but could I kick it to go out of the bathroom? And in that same thought, because I am who I am, I realized that this hotel was on the church credit card. And if I broke this door, the church would have to pay for a new door. And I didn't want to inconvenience um, the tithers at that point. Um, I know, right? I, okay. So um, my, my next thought was um, I noticed that there was a vent towards the ceiling above the counter. And even though they weren't loud, I could hear uh, that, that gaggle of middle school girls because, you know, middle school girls travel in packs of six, always. It's an even six. And I could hear them, I think, in the room next to me. And I thought, well, if I can get their attention and let them know that I'm stuck in here, maybe they would go get one of the other chaperones to go down to the desk and tell them to come. Okay, so... At 11.30 at night in a random Cincinnati hotel, I am, with my MDiv, standing on a bathroom counter, banging on the walls through a vent, and I know that if I just say, hey, girls, they're just going to think I'm trying to talk to them. So I'm standing on a bathroom counter, beating on the walls, yelling, help, as loud as I can through a bathroom vent. One of the most terrifying experiences of my life... (laughs) They did hear me 
because immediately their voices went silent. And I thought that they thought I was telling them to be quiet. (laughs) But what I found out was they went and did find a chaperone who came to my hotel room door. And so she was yelling at me through the hotel room door and then the bathroom door. And I was yelling back. And the first thing she yelled to me was, are you claustrophobic? To which I said, I am now. (laughs) As you can see, I got out. (laughs) There was a point, though, where I thought... We're leaving at 10.30 the next morning, so if I have to sleep in here and they notice I'm not downstairs at 10.30 in the next morning, maybe someone will come try to find me. Lots of things went through my head. (laughs) And now, if you go into our bathrooms, anyone that doesn't have a window or a secondary exit, you'll find a screwdriver under the sink. (laughs) True story, true story. As much as I wanted to be alone in that hotel room, what an imposition it was. (laughs) And I think we have a fear of being alone when we really start to think through it. And it's interesting because we have a God who, as these Israelites came out of slavery, The first thing God did was go and be with them and accompany them to ensure that they weren't alone. But we have this fear of what aloneness may look like or mean for us. And sometimes when we're alone, we don't know how to reconnect or reach out to others. Because much like when you're stuck in a hotel bathroom, we try to fix it ourselves. We give up and decide to just sleep in the bathtub. Or only in desperation do we cry out. So how do we reconcile our fear of being alone with the God who says, I never want you To be alone. In today's story, God appears to the Israelites as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And this tells us three things about what it means for God to accompany us along the way. First of all, we serve a God who is not Static. A God who moves with us. Now, skipping a few more stories, we know that these Israelites will be handed the Ten Commandments before too long. And among those, one of the first of those is that you shall not have any idols. Remember that? You shall not have any idols. What they can't wrap their head around, and I think what we still struggle to wrap our head around, is that God is not stationary. God is not But God comes to us and moves with us. It's something that our human brains can't quite wrap our head around. The second thing, we serve a God who is not vague. 
We serve a God who is not vague. God appears and accompanies as a fire and a cloud. God changes so we can clearly see who God is either by day or by night. God is not far away, but close enough as heat and vapor. And third, we serve a God who connects with those in trouble and distress. Not because God has to, but because God chooses to. I think sometimes we get caught up in the theologies of predestination or free will, trying to figure out how far away God is with still controlling what's going, what's going on here on earth. When in fact, what I read through the Old Testament God is that God comes closer and closer and closer to us until God becomes one of us. And then when we crucified Jesus, God comes back as a spirit to live within us. God is not one who is absent and removed, but one who is present and near and even tangible. So if this is a God who is, then are we a people who? A people who are not static. Meaning, we are not contained to one space or thing. We are growing. We are moving towards people. Are you static? How is your faith being pressed and grown and moved? Second, we are a people who are not vague. As I was coming here, I realized that, Ridgewood, you know your identity. And not that everyone believes the exact same identity, but as a church, we know who we are. That's a beautiful thing because we don't have to be vague about what we believe. But you individually, (laughs) as you talk to people about your faith and who you accept and who you love, are you vague? The third thing, we are a people who connects with those in trouble and distress. If we serve a God who is not static, not vague, and connects with those in trouble and distress, then we must become a people who are not static, vague, and connects with those in trouble and distress. Because God accompanies we too accompany one another our second word in our four values is connect i would challenge you to think what that looks like for you because there's a lot of different ways we can connect first i hope that you are connecting to god um, on a daily basis yes but on a weekly basis here on worship here in worship I hope that you are finding a way to connect to God. Second, I hope that we are finding a way to connect to one another. 
Maybe that's in Sunday school hour. Maybe that's in choir on Wednesday nights. Maybe that's just grabbing a cup of coffee with someone through the week. How are we connecting to one another? And then third, as we connect, how are we connecting to the world? How are we connecting to those people in trouble and distress? When we lose connections, we often try to fix it ourselves give up, or cry out only in desperation. But we serve a God who does not leave us alone. We serve a God who desires that we connect to one another. Amen.